Good morning, church. Uh, today's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 19. So we've been going through a series in the book of Matthew about the uh, life and ministry of Jesus. And tonight's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to start from verse 14. Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? About why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, "There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments." Which one? He inquired. Jesus replied, "You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself." All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I, will, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of, the needle, of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at, that, uh, looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter, Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes, tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters or mothers or fathers or wives or children or fields, for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This is God's word. Thanks, Ray. Uh, warm welcome to you. If I haven't met you, especially a uh, warm welcome to CP Church. My name's Iggy. I'm the lead pastor here. And what a joy that we can gather here as God's people. We can sit under God's word. We can sing praises to him. We can pray together. What a privilege and joy that is. Now, I'd ask you to keep your Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible, the host team has got a Bible that they can give to you. We'll be looking into the Bible this sermon, so it's really important. If you'd like a Bible to keep, there's also Bibles on that back shelf that you can take home or give to a friend. So um, don't be shy. If you like a physical Bible, you can put up your hand. The host team will help you out with that. Now, um, today we continue our series in Matthew um, but I want to ask by uh, I want to start by asking you a question, a little bit of a pop quiz. Do you guys know who this man is? You know who this man is? Yeah, yeah. Some people might be a fan. I wonder if you know how much this man, Elon Musk, is worth. Yeah. Does anyone know how much he's worth? Yeah. I'll tell you. Four hundred billion Australian dollars. 
right? So about 300 billion US dollars, 400 billion Australian dollars. Based on Australian average wages, that's a wage of about four and a half million people. Um, pretty much the whole of Queensland put together equals this guy in terms of his wealth. Wow. Now, I wonder, when you look at people what do you, like, like Elon Musk, I wonder what you think. You know, what, what, what is it that you think about Elon Musk? Um, imagine having that much money. No wonder he can fly to space. What's going on there? Space travel. That's just something he does, right? It flies people to space. And you hold people like this in high regard, don't you? Someone who's this rich, this wealthy, obviously they've worked hard. Obviously they're intelligent. Obviously they've made their way up the ladder and they have earned the respect of, well, Elon Musk's entire world. No matter if you like him or not, surely you'd respect him. You have to respect someone who's gotten to this level of wealth. And perhaps you are striving for the same thing. But what if I told you that people like Elon Musk, who we hold in such high regard, are not actually to be held up high, but in God's eyes, they're to be pitied. In God's eyes, that riches are actually not a help but a huge hindrance when it comes to entering the kingdom. Friends, as we enter this chapter, just to give you a bit of context, uh, Jesus is starting his trip towards Jerusalem. His, uh, chapter 19 starts by telling us that he's turning, um, coming out of Galilee and heading down to the region of Judea. And he's going uh, in towards Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is a place where eventually he will be uh, crucified. That's where his life will end. So he's heading towards his own death here because he's on a mission. As he heads there, confrontation and opposition are increasing, increasing and increasing. The closer he gets, the more opposition he gets. Fresh, um, this, chap- this passage that we read today is Jesus coming fresh off an account and another encounter with the Pharisees who are um, uh, ripping into him about marriage and divorce and the law and trying to catch him out. Um, and then we enter this passage today. And we're at our first point, which is all in. Have a look at verse 16 with me, Matthew 19, verse 16. Look into your Bibles with me, please. If you don't have a Bible with you, just listen along. Um, but verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And this this question frames this whole section here. Now, firstly, note that this man has an understanding that there is more to life than what he sees here, right? There's eternity waiting. He, might, he wants to make sure that he's in the right place. He's seeking eternal life. Th- throughout the Gospel of Matthew, this idea um, we hear comes up again and again, more often described as the kingdom of God, the reality of living under God's good rule and experiencing his good blessings forever. This man wants this. And this is a good desire. This is a good thing. And he's asking Jesus, what, are, what is the good thing that I need to do to get there? What do I need to do? And Jesus answers like this. Have a look at verse 17. Verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Jesus' reply shifts the man's focus. He's saying this to the man. You want to talk about Good deeds. Well, firstly, you need to get this. God is the only one who is good. If you want to enter life, you have to keep 
His commandments, because He is the only one that's good. All good things come from Him. The commandments show what goodness actually looks like. In verse 18, let's have a look. We continue. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. Now you note here, uh, Jesus picks the fifth to the ninth of the ten commandments. Uh, the ones that are, these, ones, these are the laws that are focused on how to treat each other, essentially. Which is why they can be summed up in that quote in verse 19. If you look at verse 19, love your neighbour as yourself. That's the golden rule from Leviticus 19. That sort of sums up this uh, command to love. Now why did Jesus pick these ones in particular? Well, we're not sure exactly, but perhaps it's, it's, perhaps it's um, these ones are a bit easier to observe. They're a bit more outward, and that's a bit easier for the man to assess how he's going with that. And the young man's reply is telling. Have a look at verse 20. Verse 20. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Wow. Firstly, you have to get, this is an amazing guy. How good is this guy? Jesus is telling him to do all of these things um, you know, uh, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, it's a high call, love your neighbour as yourself, sums up everything. And he says, I've done all of these things. This is a good guy. But he knows that something's still off. Even though he's morally excellent, a better man than, might I say, probably anyone in this room, he has no assurance of where he stands with God. He knows he hasn't done enough. He knows there is something, just something that's missing here. What do I still lack? And Jesus tells him what it is. Matthew 19, verse 21 says this, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Our friends, I'm going to ask you to do something a bit different uh, now. We didn't do a pre-sermons question because... I'm going to ask you to participate now with each other in answering a question here. I want you to turn to your neighbour, say hello if you haven't met them yet, and I want you to answer this question. What is it that this man still lacks? I'll put the verse up here. What is it that this man still lacks? I'll give you a few minutes. So turn to your neighbour, say hello if you haven't met them, and answer that question. What is it that this rich man still lacks? Go. Let's go, guys. Go. (laughs)
Okay, friends, let's bring it back together. I hope you've all figured it out now. And I can just, and then I'm, my job's done. You've all worked it out, guys. No, it's great that you guys were tackling the text. That's what I really want to encourage you. CP Church, we're on about you guys digging into the text and seeing God's word for yourself. So I hope that was helpful. So I wonder what you guys came up with when you had that discussion. What is it that this man still lacks? There's a lot of things to talk about here, but I think at the core, at the core of what this man still lacks is this. It's devotion. It's devotion. It's a wholehearted devotion to Jesus Christ. What is Jesus asking? Think about it. He's asking this man to sell all his possessions and give to the poor. But why is Jesus asking that? He's not saying this to the man because he needs to do more good things. This, this, man, this man's probably already doing that. He's probably already giving to the poor. He's not, he's not saying this so that the end point is not to help poor people. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying this because uh, the man's riches, Jesus knows that the man's riches are the thing holding him back from being 100% wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus Christ. He's lacking devotion. And we know this because what is the call from Jesus Christ? What is the end point of this call? Did you see it in the passage? It's to sell all that you have and then... Come, follow me. That's what he can't do. This is what this man's missing. A wholehearted, full-blooded devotion to Jesus Christ. A devotion that will mean you will drop everything, anything to follow Jesus. Here's the bottom line. He isn't a disciple of Jesus. And if we've seen anything from Matthew, it's this. If you want to be part of the blessings of the kingdom of God, you must be a disciple of the King, Jesus Christ. He challenges this man to let go of everything. Let go of everything you have and cling to me. Just cling to me. But this man can't do it. Verse 22. Have a look at verse 22. When this young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I read these verses and these are some of the saddest verses in the Bible, aren't they? He was so close. So close. He wanted to live rightly by God. He was doing the commandments. He was desiring eternal life. He was a good person. He was so close. But he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't let go. Because money had captured his heart. You see... I should make a correction. What, he didn't lack devotion. He actually had it, but unfortunately it was aimed in completely the wrong place. Jesus Christ says this in Matthew 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about that verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we need to realize is not is not just for this man, but every single one of us here, is that we are all worshippers. Our hearts are worship centres. Our devotion and our affections and our desires, they're all directed somewhere to something or someone. And the question is, where are they directed? Every day we pour our affection and our love and our energy and our passions into something. The thing that we think is most worthy 
But let me ask you today, what is your treasure that you're pouring your love and devotion into? Where is your heart? What is it that has captured your devotion? As I ask this, um, let me firstly say it's easy to deceive ourselves. Not many of us would, have, would openly admit that we have idols that we worship instead of Jesus Christ. I think this young man would have denied it too. I think if Jesus Christ had said to this man straight up and just said to him, hey, uh, your problem is, is that you love riches too much, he would have said, no, that's not right. I love God. What are you talking about? I don't love riches too much. Yeah, I have them, but they're not the main thing. But Jesus reveals his heart when he gives him the choice, a radical decision to make. It's either your riches or me. That's what brought out his real heart. Jesus uncovers his heart in this way. I wonder what Jesus would say to you. What would he ask you to give up? What is it that occupies that supreme place in your heart, the thing that your desires are devoted to, the thing that your mind just keeps wandering to multiple times a day? What is it that you just can't let go of? Perhaps it's a boyfriend or girlfriend. Perhaps it's your studies or your job. Perhaps it's your hobbies, your gaming, your sport, your shopping. It's your, maybe it's your comfort. Maybe it's your family. Um, I think for many of us in Australia, what is the ultimate dream for many of us is, uh, especially in this climate nowadays, is, is home ownership, right? It's like the Australian dream to own your own home, to have your own home, to not worry anymore. Yes, I have it. But what if Jesus said to you, if you want to follow me, you have to give your house away. Or maybe you don't have a house. Maybe Jesus will say, if you want to follow me, you'll never ever own your own house. You will always be renting. You'll never have the security of your own home. Could you do it? Or if he said to you, if you follow me, you'll never get married. If you follow me, you have to give up your entire career, everything that you've been working towards. Could you let go? Could you let go? Friends, Jesus is asking us to go all in. All in. He's not saying you have to live in poverty to be a Christian, that to have anything is to be a sinner, but he's asking, uh, and he's not saying you have to be poor to be a Christian. Get that straight, but he's asking, are you willing to be? What Jesus requires is a blank check, which means all of your life, whatever is required, is up for grabs. What's stopping you going all in for Jesus today? For this man and for so many of us, it is our money. And here's point two, the money problem. Have a look at verse 23 with me. Then Jesus said to his disciples, verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for someone to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Now, Jesus paints a ridiculous image here. Picture uh, a camel, the largest common animal around in that time, uh, weighing around 600 kilograms, roughly two meters high, just for scale, that's about as high as Dennis is over there. Um, imagine Dennis trying to squeeze through the tiny two millimeter 
you know, hole at the top of a needle, right? That little hole. Now, you might have heard things about, like, there's a gate called the eye of the needle and camels have to kneel down and stuff. Like, that's actually, there's no evidence of that. That sort of undermines Jesus' point here. He's, the point Jesus is making here is it's impossible. Rich people going to heaven is humanly impossible. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's the point. That's why the disciples are so shocked. That's why they're so astonished. And when we hear this, it's very hard to swallow for us to hear this, isn't it? Disciples are likewise just as shocked, perhaps even more so. Because being rich is supposed to be a sign of God's blessing, isn't it? That's what they were thinking as well. If, if rich people can't be saved, then who can? But part of the problem is that the disciples, and may, may I suggest us as well, are not seeing things the way that Jesus sees things. Because the kingdom of God, remember, is revolutionary. It's completely upside down. The values of this kingdom are completely opposite to the values of this world. Because, uh, so whilst riches in this world are seen as a thing of utmost value, when it comes to God's kingdom, they are actually a hindrance. Isn't it true that the more we have, the more preoccupied we are with our stuff? Yeah. The more anxious and worried we are about the things that we have? Think about when you're a high school student, or maybe you still are a high school student or a uni student. Remember those good old days? You didn't worry as much, did you? Wow. Because you didn't have anything. You were a poor student. A poor student. How great were those days? Or think about your first car. Maybe um, my first car was a 1994 Corolla Seeker. Such a great car. So good. Bought it secondhand for a few thousand dollars. And I loved that car because it was my first one. But to be honest, I didn't really care what happened to it. If we got a little scratch or something, you know, I wasn't too worried. But when we got our new car, uh, especially after, you know, we got it detailed and got some paint protection on it, I was so anxious about that car. Like, any little scratch, you'd, like, inspect it every day. Oh, there's a dust, quick, get it off sort of thing. I don't know if you've experienced that when you purchase a new car. And the more and more things we accumulate, the more and more things we get, the more and more insurance we need, home insurance, contents insurance, car insurance, to try and make us less worried, less anxious. The question to ask is, is our wealth actually hindering or helping us divert ourselves to Jesus? Is our wealth actually hindering or helping us divert ourselves to Jesus? Because entering eternal life, friends, is about this. It's about surrendering yourself to Jesus Christ. It's about letting go. And coming to him without anything in your hands. It's about saying to Jesus Christ, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I will trust in you, depend on you, and devote myself to you. It's about throwing off anything that you have that would stop you doing that. The the reality is this, the more you have, the harder that will be. And I'll suggest that most of us are in trouble here. Research by Credit Suisse uh, found that to be among the wealthiest 50% in the world, all you need is $3,210. And to be in the top 10% in the world, all you need is $68,800 in assets. The majority of people here are rich. We are the people that Jesus is talking about when he says it's easier to shove a camel through the eye of a needle than for people like us to enter heaven. Who then can be saved? That is the question. Matthew 19, 26, have a look at with me. Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man 
This is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Humanly speaking, humanly speaking, get that? It is impossible for anyone to be saved. But thankfully, salvation isn't up to us. It is the work of our great God. What does this verse mean? Well, firstly, there is a key truth to note that salvation, which means the same thing as entering eternal life, what this young man wanted, is not something that can come about by human means. Um, Our problem is that we are sinners. And no matter what we do, we can't be good enough to be acceptable to God. Look at the rich young man, amazing guy, amazing morals, righteous living, but it was nowhere near good enough. Only Jesus can forgive sins. We can't work them off by being a better person. Only Jesus can make us acceptable to God. This is the gospel we hold so dear. This is our only hope. That is true. But contextually, I think the emphasis of this verse is on a related but different point. God doing the impossible here is this. It's transforming a rich person's heart to let go of their wealth and devote themselves fully to Jesus. This is the impossible thing. Transforming a rich person's heart to let go of their wealth and devote themselves fully to Jesus. This is a miracle. This is a work that can come only from God. Think about it. Think about it. Left to ourselves, we would never do that. Why would we ever do this? Every message in the world tells us that wealth and riches are the thing. You need to get more. You need to accumulate wealth. You need to get that to be secure. Our whole world is centered around this. Why would we give it up? No one, humanly speaking, will do that. It seems completely foolish. No way. Impossible. But God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He can give us a new heart. To not trust in riches but to trust and treasure Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, even above the greatest earthly riches. And as we come to Him, as we come to Him, not clinging to our impressive wealth, but humbly bringing our open hands to Him, He will generously give us more than we can ever imagine. He offers eternal life. He offers treasures in heaven. He offers salvation. Let me tell you, friends, this is a huge call. It is a huge call to let go of everything you have and follow Jesus, but it is worth it. This is our third point. It's worth it. As Jesus explains to his disciples what it will take for a rich man to enter heaven, Peter pipes up. Peter, I don't know if you've noticed throughout the Gospels, he's the most vocal disciple, sort of Sort of, you know, you, you have a friend with like no filter, just says whatever's on their mind. Yeah, you're looking at them now, some of you guys, I can see. Uh, that's like Peter, right? So this is what Peter says when Jesus, says, so verse 27. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Yeah. Now you might expect Jesus to rebuke Peter at this point to go, hey Peter, this, this isn't really about you. What's, you know, why are you interjecting here? Um, maybe I'm sensing a little bit of pride here. But actually, Jesus affirms him. Jesus affirms him. Have a look at verse 28. Jesus said to them, the disciples with him, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother 
or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. You've given up a lot, Peter, is what Jesus is saying. You, you have given up a lot and a glorious future awaits you. Jesus talks about the consummation, the final bringing together of the kingdom of God on that final day when all things will be made new, where this whole world will be renewed, the heavens and the earth, and then where he will be seated on his glorious throne ruling as king. And he says to his close disciples there with him that they will have a special place there, ruling with him. But then he broadens out his promise of rewards. If you look at verse 29, he broadens it out to everyone who would follow him. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. There it is, eternal life. It is costly to follow Jesus. The picture is of people here who have left everything. Picture is of people who have left houses, as I said before, probably the most valuable thing for us here. Left your house. People have left their brothers or sisters, fathers or mothers. Many of us, we can't comprehend even considering that. Leaving our own closest family. And what else did Jesus say? Even leaving your children. As a dad, that would be the hardest thing that I could ever imagine. But Jesus is saying that if it's for my sake, then it is worth it. It is worth it. Because you know what your reward will be? A hundred times more than what you've left behind. And you will inherit eternal life. Eternal life. Friends, as you follow Jesus, you have a sure hope secured. You might, you might have to leave your earthly, hope be, your earthly house behind, but you have a heavenly home. Jesus himself is preparing that home for you right now. Getting ready for you. You might have to leave your family behind, but you have a heavenly family that you belong to, that you have the strongest bond possible. You are united in Christ, in fellowship with the same faith. You might even have to leave your life behind. You may be called to die for your king, but you have eternal life waiting. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sadness. Life to the full. That is what is promised. Devoting yourself to Jesus and following him will not be easy, but it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Matthew 16, 25, which we saw a few weeks ago, sums it up well. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Here's the question, friends. Do you believe this? Do you actually believe this? Do you believe it's worth it? If you don't, then let me tell you, you won't persevere in following Jesus. When the hard times come, you'll just give up. Why would you stick through it? You need to believe this. You need to know that nothing else matters, that this is worth it because eternal life is waiting. What King Jesus has in store for you, if you are a Christian here today, what he has in store for you as one of his people will make the greatest treasures of this world seem like rubbish, like dirty rags, like nothing. 
Here's a question as we draw this passage together. Here's a question that we always need to ask as we come to the Bible is, so why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, friends, this matters because if you don't get this, what we've seen today, if you don't get what we've seen today, then you might spend your entire life going through life thinking that you are okay but miss out on eternal life. You might go your entire life thinking you're okay but miss out on eternal life. You see, what Jesus is saying here, he says to shock us. It's a wake-up call. It's a, something to you know, wake us up to the reality, uh, to see that what we value, the things that we think would make us okay, actually, they don't matter in the kingdom of God. The values of the kingdom are absolutely different. They are absolutely upside down to what this world might think, which is why when Jesus finishes, he finishes the final verse of this section is verse 30. And you read that with me, verse 30. What did he say? This is the final thing that sums it all up. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The world is screaming at you that all that matters is to be first. You need 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 to achieve. You need to be successful. You need to be on the top of the pack. That's all that matters in this world. And the rich young man would fit this criteria, wouldn't he? When you think about it. Wealthy, successful, respected, at the top of his game. This is a, and to top it off, he's a righteous, godly guy as well. Keeps, his, keeps the commandments. And he's got a sincere desire for heaven to be with God. Wow. This is the sort of guy that, if he was in our church, that you would esteem really highly, right? He's at the top of his game. And in the worldly criteria, even in, you know, outside of church, people would probably be showing him much respect. If anyone would get to heaven, it's a guy like the rich young man. But he misses out. Because in God's kingdom, in God's economy, where things are upside down, he actually comes last place. Why? Because he's still clinging to his riches and he's not clinging to Jesus Christ. The requirements to enter the kingdom are this. It's to let go. It's to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ. It's to devote yourself fully, wholeheartedly to him, to bow your knee and to say, you are my king. I'll give my all to you to let go of anything that you are clinging tightly to right now, to let go of that and instead to turn and cling to Jesus tightly with all that you have and to never let go. Like little children who have nothing except their father. That's why Jesus opens this section just beforehand with talking about the faith of kids as a thing that you should be wanting. Dependent, devoted, bringing nothing else. They don't have anything. Jesus alone. And let me tell you something. You know what? When you live like this, what's the world going to think about you? They will think that you are a loser. They will think you're a loser. They'll think, what on earth is this guy doing? Why is he giving up that promotion? Why isn't he chasing the same things and accumulating wealth and buying more boats and cars and houses like we? He could. Why, Why isn't he doing that? Why isn't he chasing success like the rest of us? Why, what, what is wrong with that man? What's wrong with that woman? Why are you giving your money away instead of keeping it for yourself? 
you will look like a complete loser. But that's the point. Because the first will be last. And the last will be first. I bet your parents never told you to aim for last place. But Jesus is telling us this is exactly where we need to be. Needy, dependent, empty. So that we will trust and treasure Jesus Christ with everything that we have. Everything. All that we are. All that we have. So friends, today, can I urge you to make, it, make today the day that you let go of your idols. Your riches, your relationships, whatever it is that is stopping you devoting yourself to Jesus Christ fully, release your grip on them. I could give you a list of practical things to do now. Um, you know, donate this amount to church, buy this car, but don't buy this car. Here's the things that you... But remember what this passage says. Wholehearted devotion to Jesus Christ is not something that we can achieve. Salvation, humanly speaking, is impossible. You can't just grit your teeth and try harder and get there. We need God to work here. We need God to work here. If you want this, you need to pray, pray, pray for this to happen. The only application point that I really want you to take away is this, to get down on your knees and pray. Pray that God will reveal in your heart the things that you are worshipping, the things that you have put on the throne instead of him. Pray that he will transform your heart so that you can let go of that and devote yourself to Jesus Christ fully with all that you have. Let me ask you, when was the last time you prayed a prayer like that? I know if you're anything like me, I I can't remember the last time I asked God for that. You can't change your sinful heart, but God can. What a great promise that he promises to help us when we come to him, that he shows us grace and mercy and help. He hasn't left us alone in this to struggle to try and get to him by ourselves. He gives us the grace that we need to give it all up and trust in Jesus, the one who matters. You can't change your heart, but God can. Do you believe this? Well, you should. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I'm going to lead us in a prayer now. And today is your opportunity to take the first step in letting go of the things that would hinder you from coming into the kingdom from devoting yourself to Jesus Christ fully and to start living a life of devoted discipleship all for him. When we pray, God hears, he will help us. This is the prayer that I'm going to pray here. Father God, forgive me that I would still cling to the things of this world. Please reveal in me the idols of my heart. Please transform my heart so I may not worship these things. Please help me to devote myself to Jesus Christ above all. Amen. It's a simple prayer, but this is a prayer that could change your life because God works through prayer. We pray for what we want to see. So I will pray this prayer. And friends, if you want to make today the day you take a step to let go of your idols and follow Jesus Christ fully, then I'd love for you to pray with me. I'll pray and then you can pray along with me in the quietness of your heart. Okay, let's pray. 
Father God, forgive me. Forgive me that I would still cling to the things of this world. Please reveal in me the idols of my heart. Please transform my heart so I may not worship these things. Please help me to devote myself to Jesus Christ above all. Amen. Friends, if you've prayed that prayer today, God has heard you. Right? We'll love to be able to help you take a next step too. So as we respond in our Connect, times, connect Cards, please let us know how we can be praying and supporting you in this journey, all for the sake of God's glory. Amen. Thank you.